Uh, glad you are here today, and, uh, and it's a special day because we did child dedication, um, and uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. And could you do me a favor in the back, if you don't mind, could you give them just a little more light? I want to see their faces. Yeah, there you are. Hey, everybody. Good. That's great. That's a little too much. Actually, if we can just split the difference, that would be great. <laughs> I mean, I love you, but, you know, it's still early. Anyway, um, glad you're here today. And um, especially, I know it's um, child dedication weekend. Some of you are guests with us, friends and family that are here for that, and that's awesome. Really glad that, that you're here. Um, I was thinking about that this week. Anytime we have a sort of a holiday or a big event, we have guests with us, and, and it's awesome, and I always look forward to it. But I always wonder what's running through your mind before you get here, you know? What, what to expect when you, sh- when you show up. Um, it's something I think about sometimes as a, as a pastor and talked about with other pastors because, you know, you go to something new, and you don't really know. You have so many questions. Had a guy explain it to me once. He said, you know, if somebody has no experience with church or with your church even, just for example, so it would be a little bit like if you had a neighbor who was a Buddhist and you kept inviting your, your neighbor to church with you, but they wouldn't come. And so, uh, but the, your neighbor finally said, okay, I'll go to your church with you one week if you'll come to the Buddhist temple with me next week. And you agreed to that. And he said, well, what they would be thinking as they're driving to your church is the same thing you would be thinking as you're driving to the temple. I don't know what they do there, you know. I don't know. How am I supposed to dress? Where am I supposed to sit? Where are the bathrooms? I don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. It can be very nerve-wracking. Last night, so Friday and Saturday, Piedmont Players, which is the organization that owns both this theater and the Moroni, um, they had one of their big fundraisers Friday night and Saturday night, is a black tie dinner, right? And so Jess and I got invited, and we went with Amy and Nathan Prater, and Monica and Jeremy Sides came with us. And um, so we had this black tie dinner. And I got to tell you something. You might know this already. I am not a black tie kind of guy. I, I do have a black tie, literally. I have a black tie, and I do own a suit. I own three of them. I have a skinny suit, a medium suit, and a fat suit. All right, I'm currently in the medium suit, which I feel pretty good about. But we're, we're getting ready to come to this, to this uh, black tie event. I'm like, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with this. I, this is not my scene. You know, this is not my world. And so we were asking a ton of questions. Jeremy was asking a ton of questions, too. Jeremy went out and bought a suit. <laughs> you know, he went out and bought a suit. So, like, the... the we, I didn't know how to behave. Do elbows on the table or not on the table? I think that's a rule, but I'm not sure. I don't know if people were judging me. I'm pretty sure my elbows were on the table at one point or another. All right? But when you go to something, you're not sure exactly what to expect. You want to know what the rules are, basically. And so what we're studying right now together, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just come on the scene. The Sermon on the Mount from Matthew uh, happens fairly early in Jesus' ministry. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We've, we've, we've worked all the way through chapter 5 and 6. We're starting on chapter 7 today, so you can start turning there if you want, Matthew chapter 7. Um, but Jesus has been talking about this kingdom this kingdom that's coming. And all of these people, they're, they're Jewish people at this, at this point in his ministry, some religious leaders, some farmers and fishermen. And so his disciples and uh, kids and women, and they're, they're all wondering, what are you talking about? He's, he's done some miracles, and so they're buying into his ministry and what's going on, but they want to know what the kingdom is about and what are the rules of this kingdom. And so that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is. 
And sometimes, uh, sometimes because it's so long and there are so many different segments to it or sections to it, it can get treated a little bit like Proverbs, where people will just airlift verses out of this or airlift segments out of it, and it's really meant to be understood all together. And so that's what we're doing in the series is walking all the way through it so that we can understand how everything ties together and how it connects. Jesus so far has been talking about basically the fact that the way his kingdom works is different than the way the kingdom that they've experienced works. And it actually, the, the, the sort of the rules to play by or the character, the expectations, hasn't even been represented by their spiritual leaders. The people that they've been following and trusting to, to lead them and show them how to live haven't been doing that right overall. And so Jesus has been challenging them as he goes through here. He's been, t- he's been talking about, about how their focus needs to be on the coming kingdom, on heaven, on God's kingdom, not on the kingdom of the world. That they need to be living now as citizens of what's coming. And so they need to be careful not to store up for themselves treasure on earth. They need to be careful not to put all their hope and all of their joy on things here because those are temporary. They need to be careful not to, uh, like, flaunt fancy prayers in front of people or make sure people see them doing good work so they get credit for that or uh, dishevel their faces when they're fasting so everybody sees how spiritual they are. He's like, no, no, don't do that. Do it in genuineness and truth. God will see it, and that's what matters, and then you will have reward with him there. And so he's trying to reshape or shape their character so that they're prepared to be citizens of his kingdom. They understand how it works. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going uh, to drop in uh, in Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to start today. Some very well-known verses. And Jesus is trying to get them to move on from cold, dead, heartless religion to something that is much deeper and truer. Um, so Matthew chapter 7. First verse, judge not that you not be judged. I have a feeling everyone in this room, even if you're not a Christian, has heard that verse before. (laughs) Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, specifically, as we're thinking about the crowd of people that are sitting there, I think this is directed at the Pharisees above everyone else because they are masters of judgment. (laughs) They are the best at this. They are constantly telling other people what they are doing wrong and yet not admitting that they themselves are doing so many things wrong. Jesus talks about them as unclean vessels, that the, the outside is polished and beautiful, but the inside is dirty. That's how he describes them. He gets more and more sort of confrontational with them as his ministry goes on. Uh, But here it's a little bit softer. All right, don't judge lest you be judged. The measure you use will be measured back to you. Now, Jesus does say, okay, he does say, uh, judge not that you not be judged. But you have to understand that throughout this sermon, Jesus makes drastic statements that he doesn't mean to be taken 100% all the way. He says when he talks about prayer, he says, don't pray in front of other people. Well, obviously, we're going to and are supposed to pray in front of other people. He's not making that dramatic a statement. When he says, judge not, he's saying, he's not saying that you're never supposed to judge anything. That's not what he's saying. But he's giving a warning about how we judge. All right, judge not. Because you probably heard that, right? It's not my place to judge. Or, Or someone will quote to you this verse, and they'll be like, oh, don't judge me. No, no, Bible says not to judge. Bible says not to judge. Like, well, yeah, sort of. Yes, he did say not to judge, but that's not the only thing he said. He said a bunch of other stuff too. 
So we need to understand what he said in light of all the other stuff he said too. You know, that's called context, and it's very important when you're studying Scripture. So uh, we are supposed to make judgments in certain cases, but the connotation here when he says judge is, is the connotation is a negative verdict, pronouncing a negative verdict on someone. And specifically, he's prohibiting harsh, hurtful, uninformed, unwelcome, hasty, and hypocritical judgments. Those we should not do. It's not a prohibition against judging anything or anyone ever. It's the negative, it's the harsh, hurtful, uninformed, unwelcome, hasty, and hypocritical judgments. And he said, so, but he is going to talk about judging here in the next section, just so you know. So it's not that we're not supposed to make judgments. So we're supposed to make the right kind. And he says, be very careful. Be very careful. Because when you judge someone else, however you judge, whatever measure you use for them, that's what's coming back. I had a, a pastor once describe it this way. It was really helpful for me. He said, you got a choice. You can, uh, you can dole out buckets of judgment. See if that'll stay. Or teaspoons. That's your choice. If this is your choice, if you decide that you're going you're gonna to dole out buckets of judgment on, P, on Jimmy, <laughs> needed confetti, right? There should have been confetti in it. All right. Buckets of judgment on people. Guess what? Jimmy's going to use that bucket right back on me. So you better be ready for that. And in the, in the context of this verse, hey, Pharisees, you're going to dump out this judgment on people constantly. You better be ready to get that same measure back. And oh, be, oh by the way, Pharisees, be very careful about judging Jesus. That's going to be a problem for you. It's going to be a problem for you. All right? And if you use a bucket, if you use buckets to judge, that's what is going to come back. But if you use teaspoons, then teaspoons are what come back. Be ready. You've got to be ready to handle whatever it is. But it's not a, a total, complete prohibition on judging because of what he says next. Go to verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's not that we're not supposed to help people with the speck, okay? We are. That's, that's part of what we're doing together is helping each other grow in holiness and faithfulness to God. So, yes, we are supposed to help each other, and that does mean sometimes calling out sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives and pointing that out and helping them with it from a loving place. But what Jesus is doing is using a drastic example here to show the ridiculousness, particularly of what the Pharisees are doing, but what any of us could be doing. And he uses one of his favorite techniques, hyperbole. Jesus uses it all over the Bible. He loves this. This is, this is, this is like... Their sense of humor then a little different than our sense of humor now, but to them this would have been extremely funny. It's just like the idea when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's hyperbole. They're supposed to picture a camel halfway between, like with a needle in the middle, you know. It's supposed to be ridiculous and funny and make the point at the same time. So basically this, this, is, this is what he's saying. This is, this is what you look like. Jimmy, you've got a problem and we need to deal with it. And it's not your shirt. I like your shirt. But 
Come here, dude. No, no, no. No. You got you got a speck. You hang on. You got a speck in your eye, and we need to deal with it because it's a problem. Okay. So come here. Come here. Come on. No, let me do, let me get you. No, let me get you. All right. Let me get in there. Right. This is what Jesus. And not even this. The, when Jesus says the the plank, he's talking about the main post in a house. It's the it's the support beam that runs through the top of the house. And and the speck is the smallest little bit of straw or chaff that might be in your eye. It's supposed to be ridiculous because Jesus' point is, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous that when we are dealing with sin, that we would walk around buckets of judgment out on people when we ourselves are dealing with sin. And so he said, yeah, you got to help with the speck, but look inward first. I think it's interesting. I don't know if this is significant or not, uh, but the application I, could, I, I know is true that uh, I think it's interesting that the, the plank and the speck are both wood or wood-type particle, wood-type things. And the reality is that we often tend to judge most harshly, harshly the things that we struggle with most deeply. Oftentimes, our judgment of other people is actually a mirror. Somehow, maybe we think that judging other people's sin is an act of penance for our own, uh, but it's not. And that what we judge in others often needs to be dealt with in us first. And so if you find yourself being very judgmental of someone or something, the first thing before you ever say anything to them is to do some self-reflection and see if maybe there's a plank in my own eye. Uh, theologian F. Dale Bruner said it uh, in, I think, a funny way. The tragic comic feature of this story is a log-eyed reformer saving a speck-eyed sinner. It's a redwood teaching a shrub to be low profile. <laughs> I love that. I just chuckled when I read that this week as I was doing research. You know, we ask that question, like, who am I to judge? That's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. Who am I to judge? Maybe there's something that I need to deal with first before I help you with what you're going through. But I should not use that as an excuse not to help you through what I want to help you through, what you need to be helped what, what it does when we recognize that, that we, uh, we need to be, uh, consider the plank in our own eyes, it causes us to handle judgment or, or uh, uh, constructive criticism or encouragement or challenge in a way that is gracious, in a way that is humble, tactful, loving, because that's what we need to do. With each other. But we have a tendency, much like the Pharisees, to just try and sprinkle out judgment like holy water, you know? Like if I just tell people what they're doing wrong, that's going to fix things. Or it's going to just, you know, I just need to, I need to scream it from the mountaintops and shout it from the rooftops. And if the louder I am, the more change it's going to affect. <laughs> oh, no, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We need to be more tactful, careful, wise, um, after Jesus says you gotta you gotta remove the the plank from your own eye before you remove deal with the speck in your brother's eye, then he says this in verse six: Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, this seems kind of strange. I, this is this is not the kind of analogy that really makes a lot of sense to us would make a lot of sense to them in their culture because of what their daily lives looked like. 
they, they understood the idea of swine, pigs, farms. That was very common for them. And they would not have thought very highly of swine being Jewish because, uh, of course, they couldn't, couldn't eat them. Um, so uh, it was kind of a, it's kind of a weird scenario to us. And when he talks about uh, not, uh, uh, he says, don't, don't give what is holy to dogs. We've got to understand dogs were a little different then than they are today. We're not talking about, like, this is not cute labradoodles and knit sweaters. This is not the kind of dogs he's talking about. They're, dogs were more like coyotes. Think of coyotes, okay? Roaming scavengers. All right, so these were both uh, the people that were uh, animals that were not uh, highly thought of. But he's, basically, what is he saying? He's saying, just don't waste your time with dogs and hogs. Okay. Don't waste your time with dogs and hogs. Okay? If, 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 oftentimes, oftentimes, we feel like as Christians, it's our job to judge. And that's not the seat we sit in. That's not our job, although we do have to make judgments. But we're not the judge. And so, but we feel like it is. And so when we see sin going on all around us in our society, in our community, in our family, or wherever else, we feel like it's our job to pronounce judgment on that, to, to throw out judgment and to, to, to stand up for what's right, you know? We feel like that's what we're supposed to be. But if we're out and we're judging unbelievers or people who are not committed to God or don't accept the Bible as an authority in their life, well, we're beating our head against a brick wall. We're wasting our time. That's not profitable time spent. And what's probably going to happen is their response to that is not going to be favorable. Their response to that is going to be to reject us and to dig. Like, no, there are no hugs in a tug of war. Okay. When, when both sides start pulling on the rope, all you do is dig in your heels more tightly, right? So when we start proclaiming judgment or placing judgment on people that aren't open to it, not willing to listen to it, all we do is cause them to dig their heels in more tightly. It's not effective. All right? When we go to somebody and we say, hey, what you're doing is wrong, the Bible says, but they don't accept the Bible as an authority. All it does is pit them against the Bible. That's not effective. That's not a good idea. All right, Jesus famously, he was sending his uh, disciples out on a, uh, an apprenticeship test run, ministry journey. Okay? He was still with them, and he sent them out on a missionary journey without him to go to towns and to preach. And his instruction to them was, if you go to a town and that town doesn't accept you, then shake the dust off your feet and go on. Shake it off. Y'all thought Taylor Swift. Can't, she didn't. It's not her. It was Jesus. She stole it from him. All right? He said, just shake the dust off your feet. If they won't listen, move on. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time on dogs and hogs. If there's somebody who's not going to listen, this, this judgment he's talking about is not judgment for the world, uh, you know, buckets of judgment for the world. What he's talking about is helping your brother or your sister when they have a speck in their eye in a loving, kind, gracious, helpful, humble, tactful way. That is something we should be doing. Don't waste your time. People that aren't listening, arguing never convinced anybody. It only made them more staunch in their opinion. You know, it, it doesn't mean that we don't say what's wrong is wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't stand on the truth of the word of God and call sin, sin. It's just we have to understand when, how, and where to do that in a way that is effective and loving and caring. I think about the, uh, the family center. We, we talked about that last week, kind of cast the vision for the family center that we're going to be opening and introduce you to Amy, who's going to be running it. And 
Um, if you weren't here, I would encourage you, just, you can listen to last week's message. That's what we did. Um, it's something that we're going to be starting here in town. It's going to be incredible. It's going to help families understand how to honor God in their relationships. And through the ministries that we're going to do at the Family Center, we're going to be doing classes. We're going to be doing coaching. We're going to be doing communities. And uh, we're going to have to say, you know, this is sinful. You've got to call people on the carpet at times. You have to point those things out. But there's only way that they're going to make progress or that we're going to make progress. So there are people that need to look at me and say, John, you're messing this up. You need to get this thing straightened out. I appreciate that because it's done in a loving, caring, kind, teamwork way. And so we need to, we're going to have to do that, but there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it that is profitable, that is honoring to God. How do we do it, though? It's, it's, it can be confusing. It can be hard. So how do we walk as kingdom citizens, holding fast to what's true, but doing it in a gracious and loving way instead of being judgmental? Good question. Glad you asked. What does Jesus say next? <laughs> Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You want to know how to do this? You need to ask, seek, and knock. And it's, it, this is written, um, because we're translating into English, uh, originally it's written in what's called the present imperative, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's present, but it's present tense, but it also means to continue in it. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking for? Matthew records, he says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What are the good things that we're asking for? It's interesting. Jesus, uh, he traveled and had, had about three years or so of ministry, teaching, healing, and doing all of that. And um, he would go different places and teach to different people, and he would repeat himself at times. He had, it's kind of like, you know, you have uh, preachers that, that travel around, you know, or do conferences or other things, and they've kind of got that sermon. It's the one in their pocket. It's the go-to, and they just keep refining it and changing it and growing it over time, and they, they repeat things like that. Well, Jesus did the same thing. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus says some of these same things that we read out of the Sermon on the Mount, but he's a little more clear on this when he says it in Luke chapter 11, all right? And this is what he says. It's almost word for word except for one small change that you're going to see. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So in Matthew, he says good gifts. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. And the Spirit who walks with us, the Spirit who leads us, the Spirit who who empowers us and directs us, 
You want to know how to love someone? You want to know how to uh, stand strong in the face of sin? You want, to, you want to understand how to help each other, help the people that you love who are dealing with sin in their life? You want to understand how to help with the spec? You want to understand how to assess yourself and make sure there's not a plank in your eye? What do you need? Who do you need? You need the Spirit. You need the Spirit. You need to listen to him. You need to seek him. You need to ask for him. You need to knock on the door. And you need to let him lead you, lead you in your self-reflection. Let him lead you in what you say to people, how you feel or think about people, how tactful you are as you deal with them so that we can all grow, so that we can all move forward and prepare ourselves for the kingdom that's coming. This prayer, these asking, seeking, and knocking prayers are prayers for spiritual discernment. Discernment. Help me understand. Maybe there's somebody that you know that you care about who has, they're dealing with sin in their life, and you don't want to be judgmental, but you do want to help them. What you need to do is you need to pray, and you need to ask the Spirit to show you how to help. What is the most helpful thing for me to do with them? And then whatever he says, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, do it. And watch him work. You need to pray and ask for him. Finishes this section, last verse we're going to read today, verse 12. Famous, famous verse. Therefore, therefore. So what we're about to read is based on what we just read. Therefore. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want to know very practically how to help someone else? Put yourself in their shoes and put them in your shoes. And say, if I were them, if I were them, what would I want them to do for me? How would I want them to approach me? It's a great way to understand and listen to the Spirit. And I know everybody's uh, situations are different, that the things that you see and you struggle with are all different, uh, which is why when you gather together in your groups this week, you're going to talk practically about what does this mean? How do, how do I apply this teaching to the situation that I'm in? And so make sure that you do that with honesty. But we have to remember that ultimately we are people of grace. We are people who stand in grace, and we are to be people of grace. I was um, recently on a trip. I do these... Um, trips. We call them Rockin' the River retreats where we, me and a friend of mine, take uh, several ministry leaders out into the woods, you know, not in a creepy way, um, but uh, like to a cabin somewhere. And um, we, we do something fun together like whitewater rafting. This last trip we went on a couple weeks ago, we went on a hike. Um, and, but then we also, we work through Bible studies, which take a long time for us when you get a bunch of ministry leaders together. Um, but we work through Bible study, and then we have some content to help them understand who they are and what their calling is and how success, what success looks like in their life. And um, so we, we do that particularly because we want to help uh, pastors and ministry leaders that are struggling or, or hurting. And so it's a, it's a neat thing uh, that we're able to do. We had a pastor um, on our last trip, this was two weeks ago, uh, who grew up in Iran. He's Muslim, grew up Muslim. And his entire life, he said, he didn't know anything about Christianity, not the first thing, um, because he was in Iran. It wasn't allowed. It was, they were totally protected and shut off from all of that. And so and the Muslim faith was, was all he knew. 
And he always prayed and always wanted, he always asked God, he said, I want to know you. I want to know you and I want to love you, but I can't with this. <laughs> I can't in this, this faith that I'm in. You're distant in, in all of that. And so he kept wanting to know and love God. And finally, uh, in the late 90s, because of conflict that was having in Iran, he fled Iran. He left Iran, and he moved to the United States. And it was after he moved to the United States that he had an a incredible, miraculous experience with Jesus. Some, the kind of thing that I hear about, but I rarely ever hear firsthand from someone. He had a firsthand experience like that. And he accepted Jesus as a Savior without knowing the first thing about the Bible. <laughs> And uh, so it's fascinating to hear him, him talk about it. But he's a very, he's a very passionate man, a very, in, in some ways, a very romantic man. And, uh, and I love that about him. He was talking, and now he has, a, uh, by the way, a, a, a ministry where he preaches. Um, and uh, it re- they record it like a TV program. And then they broadcast it over satellite so that people in Iran, Christians in Iran, can receive it over satellite and bypass all of the government blocks and everything that happens so that the gospel can be spread in Iran. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But he said he was doing an event once where he, uh, he uh, was preaching, and it was a crowd of, he believes, uh, all Christians, all believers. It wasn't a gospel-oriented message. It was a discipleship-oriented message, but he had a room full of Christians, and uh, he had a, this, this vision, and uh, he said he, he had this vision that Jesus walked in the back of the room, looked at everyone, and said, all guilty, none condemned, and he walked out. And I get emotional just thinking about that. But we have to understand that's what we stand in. That's what we stand in. And so it also needs to be what we stand on. That that we are guilty people who have been saved by Jesus. And and if you're not, if if you haven't made that decision before, it's simply believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, rose again on the third day, and accepting his salvation. Believe. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you can have everlasting life by believing in him today. And there's nothing you or I ever did to earn that. Can't do it. We're not good enough. We're not holy enough. We can't earn God's love that way. It is given freely to us. And we are forgiven. And if we are people who've been saved by grace, then we need to be people of grace. Instead of walking around pointing our finger and judging, 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 we need to look at the people that we love and say, how can I help? How can I help them? How can I lead them to Jesus so they'll accept him as their savior? How can I give them confidence in the scripture so that they'll accept it as their authority? How can, if they already, if they already have both of those things, how can I love them and care for them in a way to remind them of those things that they already know and stand on what we already know, but to do it in a gracious and humble and loving way? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, we need to help each other do that, but we need to help each other do it in a way that is loving, humble, and gracious. And stand on that foundation, just as Jesus taught them to stand on that foundation. I know it's hard to do that. 
So let's take a let's finish our time today by praying. And we're going to ask God through the power of the Spirit to lead us and show each of us what he wants us to do individually with the relationships and influence we have in our own lives. Okay, So listen to him now as we pray. Even as we speak, listen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the knowledge that even though uh, we are sinners, we have failed you, we've fallen way, 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 way short of your standard, that in your grace and mercy, you loved us enough to send your son, Jesus, that you would be willing to humble yourself even to the point of death on the cross and give your life in our place. That you were placed in a tomb, but on the third day you rose again in power, claiming victory over sin and death. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father, offering salvation to us. We don't deserve it even for a second. You have forgiven us and restored us. You've given us the opportunity to have eternal life with you. And even now in the midst of this world that is so full of sin, we get the opportunity to begin living as your children and as your citizens. And so God, continue to change us, change, reform the way that we think and the way that we feel. Mold the way that we react. Soften our hearts so we're not prideful people full of judgment and condemnation, but that we're, we're soft-hearted, full of grace and love and mercy, just like you are for us. And even though we want to stand on and, and stand firm for the things that we know are true and right and honoring and glorifying to you, help us to lead people in a way that is gracious and loving, the same way you lead us. The, the, the challenge that you place in our life, the way that you push us and mold us and hold us up and show us what's wrong in our lives, you do that out of love. So help us to do the same thing. Help us to do the same thing. And for every single person here, we all have different relationships. We have different planks in our own eye that we have to deal with. Show us what those are. Show me what mine are. Show every person who's here what theirs are. And show us what we need to do to clear them up. We want to see clearly. We want to see clearly not only for us and for our relationship with you, but also our ability to help and serve. God, for all those people that, that we love, the people in our life, people that we have influence over, Give us wisdom. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking, we're asking. Holy Spirit, lead us. Show us. Tell us what to say. Or what not to say. Show us when to push and when to step back. Show us where we can be effective. And show us where we may be wasting our time. Help us to see. Help us to see with your eyes 
so that our life, whether it's us in our own sin or whether it's us in the ministry that you give to us to serve and lead other people and help other people walk, whatever it is, that that will bring honor and glory to you, that you'll be pleased by it. And that it will continue as a cycle to draw us closer to you and also to draw us closer to each other. Put our feet on solid ground. It's in your name we pray. Amen.